Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 328 of the Juicebox podcast. Today's show is the audio from a recent Ask Scott and Jenny Facebook Live. Now, the audio is super good. It's clean. Clean the way you like it on a podcast. Don't worry. It's not all Facebooky. It's not like Jenny's like, I think that we should do the thing with the insulin. Doesn't sound like that at all. Sounds crisp and clear. Right? Imagine Wolfman Jack in your house. He's like, hey there, kids. Not, no one knows who that is, but that's not the point. Point is, it's a good recording for podcasting. And I didn't want you guys to be left out. So I was just trying to do a little live thing on Facebook, give people, you know, something to do during the day while they're trapped in their house. But then I wanted to get that audio right up here for you guys to listen to in your ears, the way podcasts are supposed to be heard. Anyway, Jenny and I started with one question from my Ask Scott and Jenny list. And then we let the viewers of the live ask the rest of the questions. I thought it went great. Actually, I had a fun time. It was nice to hear from everybody. I'm giving you this episode as a bonus this week. This is the third episode this week, so there won't be any ads on it. But it isn't going to stop me from mentioning the advertisers so that you remember that the good people at Dexcom, Omnipod, Contour Next One Blood Glucose Meter, and Touch by Type 1 are the reason why I could be messing around yesterday doing a Facebook Live. So I'm going to put links at the end, and they're going to be in the show notes here if you'd like to check out any of the sponsors. Clicking on the links is very helpful to me, and I appreciate when you do it. All right, so let's get to it. This is episode, what I say, 328. It's a live Ask Scott and Jenny from Facebook. And you need to remember while you're listening to it that nothing you hear on the Juicebox podcast should be considered advice, medical or otherwise. Please always consult a physician before making any changes to your healthcare plan we're becoming bold with insulin. And just like that, you're listening to Scott and Jenny. Uh, redirecting to Facebook. Oh, there it is. I'm making a funny thing. There we go. We're live. Woohoo. That was easy. Okay. So obviously, it's going to take a couple of minutes for people to get on. I'm going to first say that I'm Scott Benner. This is Jenny Smith. You may know Jenny uh, and I from the Diabetes Pro Tip episodes on the Juice Box podcast. Jenny also does Ask Scott and Jenny and Defining Diabetes. And today we thought we would do an Ask Scott and Jenny live. Now, we have a question to get started with that came from one of you, but we're uh, totally willing to see some questions from other people. So first, I need somebody in the chat uh, on Facebook to tell me if you can hear me. And Jenny, say something to see if they can hear you. Hello. Okay. So just somebody <laughs> tell me in the uh, comments if uh, if you can hear us. Oh, hi, Maddie. How are you? Have you never seen Jenny live before? Well, we already have 18 people. Awesome. 24. We'll start right at 3 o'clock because you guys are on time. I like prompt. They've got a minute or maybe less. I don't know. My clock says one fifty nine or two fifty nine. They should definitely be. Everybody can hear. Cool. All right. Uh, they should definitely be rewarded for being on time. The people who come later are going to have to watch. You know, watch the replay or hear it on the podcast. I can hear both of you. All right, Laura. Thank you. Woohoo! All right. So if you guys have questions, throw them in there, and we'll see what we can do. But Jenny and I thought we would start with. Let's see. I have it here. I have it here. Here it is. Um, oh, you know what? Before we start, did you guys know that 
I'm Jenny, I'm going to give your bona fides here. Jenny <laughs> Smith is an RD, LD, CDE, T1D. She has a bachelor's degree in human nutrition and biology from the University of Wisconsin. She's a registered and licensed dietitian, a certified diabetes educator, and a certified trainer on most makes of pumps and continuous glucose monitoring systems. Jenny has had type 1 diabetes for how long, Jenny? Uh, on May 15th, it will be 32 years. Okay, so that's a long time. Um, <laughs> That's for, a long time. That is a definitely a long time. So any of you who've heard us on the show before know this is basically what you know it looks like for Jenny and I when we record, uh, and you guys just don't usually get to hear. Um, so we're going to get started with the first question. Yay. It's how do I attack meals or times of day that cause a huge spike but come down eventually? If more insulin is added, I go low later. When I wait longer, like when I pre-bolus, I go low earlier in the meal. Now, by the way, guys, there's a disclaimer here. We're not healthcare professionals. This is not advice uh, in this context, just us talking and, and you hanging out. So if everybody's okay with that, cool. If you're not, jump, all right? <laughs> we, need jump ship now. we do not need any problems from you people. Just get it if you don't like it, okay? <laughs> all right. All right, Jenny. So I, you know, I hear this question a lot. I tried mm -hmm. to pre-bolus, but I got low before I ate, or you know, I tried a shorter pre-bolus and I just got high later. What are some of the reasons that can happen? So uh, to begin with, beginning of the question would be your bolusing getting high and eventually without correction, it comes down. That initially would be a bolus timing thing, right? Where right. you need to bolus sooner to stop the rise. It's an indication that there is enough insulin there because ultimately the bolus you took does get you down to where you wanted to get later after the meal. Right. There's just not enough time between taking the insulin, letting it get started, and the food actually impacting blood sugar. Okay. But the further part of the question sounds more like if you add more insulin, like upfront thinking there wasn't enough to begin with, or you correct, and then you end up going low in either of those scenarios, clearly there was too much insulin, right? You mm -hmm. didn't need more insulin. You just needed a different bit of timing for taking it. Right. The third part of it, so like little segments here, the third part of it really is if you do take the amount based on your ratio, you end up climbing or you pre-bolus with enough time and you end up sinking within mm -hmm. the time period after you bolus, but then you still climb up later. That could be, especially for those who are using an insulin pump, that could be not only a timing issue, but also a delivery of insulin issue, Okay, right? Where you would probably need to use, all the pumps have some type of extended bolus feature. Uh, could it be combo bolus, extended bolus, dual or square wave bolus? All the pumps call it something different. Um, but essentially, it allows you to take a certain percentage up front, potentially in this scenario, to stop the bump up gives you, let's say you decided to take 50% of the bolus now and then distribute the other 50% in the back end. Mm -hmm. What it allows is the 50% you take now, you can pre-bolus, thus decreasing the amount at the beginning that you get. So you don't have a drop, but you also get the pre-bolus benefit of not having that rise up right. soon after the meal. And then the later impact is that you still get a finish of that end of insulin, which you knew was enough. Mm -hmm. You just needed to distribute it a little bit longer to impact, you know, the full content of whatever this meal, I guess, had in it. Okay. And and I, I obviously I agree with you, but 
what I was going to say is that when when I see that, I don't often see a pre-bolus that's so like heavy that she crashes before she gets low. And so I think that ends up being a situation where people are like, well, I pre-bolused and then I got high anyway, so I'll keep trying longer and longer and longer, but it's not, at some point, the length of the pre-bolus is just not your issue, you, you know? Right. And and I hate to, I don't want to put a number on it, but, you know, if you're pre-bolusing 30 minutes in the future, you're probably coming out of a much higher blood sugar to begin with, and you have issues on the back end that you're not dealing with. Um, I find myself saying a lot that diabetes, uh, using insulin specifically is like time travel. Everything you do now is for later. Right. Right. But everything that's happening to you now is from before. So if you're putting in a healthy pre it's like you said, on a good site that you can count on, et cetera, and you're, you know, you're still climbing afterwards. I mean, the pre is probably at this point, isn't the question. And there's little things for CGM users. You can kind of look at the. Trend. The angle of the trend, right? So if you're if you're shooting straight up like this, you've either missed, I think, huge with the amount of insulin you're using, or you know if you just bolus and five minutes later start eating a real sugary thing, you're going to shoot straight up. If you come more on that that kind of gentle rise that I tried to describe as the, uh, it's the minor or no, not the minor, like the the mountain climber on the Price is Right. <laughs> right. He's like yo, lady, and he like keeps like rolling back and forth like this, right? Because when you have a Dexcom and you you have that gradual lineup, everyone's done it. They stare at it. They're like, it's going to stop. It's going to stop. It's going to stop. And then eventually that guy falls off the end and Drew Carey right. says you can't have the money and it's all over, right? And your blood sugar's 280 and and then that's sort of the end of it. So like Jenny's saying, there's just a thousand different ways. But in the end, what you're trying to do is manipulate your insulin and put it where it's needed. So mm-hmm. you need that nice pre-bolus, but if an hour later you ha- start having this crazy rise, like she said, an extended bolus, or even coming back and readdressing with more insulin at some point is the answer. You get low later when you put so much insulin up front to control that line that eventually when the impact of the food goes away out here in the future, the insulin's still left over and you crash low. So you've got to, you know, for the lack of a better term, you have to put the insulin where it's needed. I always say when you're about, you know, you have to address your body's need with, with the right amount of insulin. So right. that's cool. So that's a really, it's a great question. I appreciate that question. Um, and people have left other questions. So let Woo-hoo. me dig in here, Jennifer, and see what I can do. We love here. questions, right? Uh, yeah, but I'm on the wrong browser to see. I got to get into, all right, everybody, chill out a second. This is my first time doing this. It's a lot of pressure, like running the show and... Like I asking the questions, I asking, I didn't answering them. I was going to feel under pressure here. Hold on a second. <laughs> All right. I'm on a different browser. So one browser is sending you guys the Facebook Live, and then I'm going to look on a different one. Where am I looking at? Oh, I'm in the wrong. I have too many Facebook groups. I was While like, you're looking, I'm going to add something extra to that good. comment. Thank you. And question from before, too, you were talking about, you know, the trend kind of even coming into the meal, Mm -hmm. and that can definitely determine things. You know, if you were, um, if you were at an excessive insulin coming into a meal, and you were already on this slope headed down, right, and or if that's commonly happening within the same meal time, it could be that you're pre-bolusing with a load of extra previous insulin on board, 
thus you're consistently coming down in this time period of the day. Okay. And so any pre-bolus, it's going to look like that pre-bolus is causing you to drop Mm -hmm. within the first time period of that meal. So you're less likely to pre-bolus as much as you need to from previous experience. And thus you're getting this rise up that you wouldn't have if the hours leading into this meal, again, if it was a consistent problem at this time of day, it sounds like the hours ahead in this setting could need to be evaluated. Maybe the basil's too high heading into this meal. Okay. Or maybe the insulin, the carb from a snack three hours ago is also giving you too much insulin. So you're consistently coasting down into this meal time. So you've got this excess behind the scenes insulin. So there are some other things that could be evaluated too. Cool. All right. Um, and somebody said I was lower than you, so I just turned my voice up. So if I got, if I'm now too loud, somebody tell me. All right. Anna asks, I have been having trouble with the accuracy of my Freestyle Libre. Sometimes there's a big difference. I think I will change Dexcom once I finished the my inventory. I currently have at home, but do you have any recommendations in the meantime um, while I'm using these? That's a good question. Yeah. Is do, there an answer? Do, well, is there anything to adjust? There's nothing from our from our practice. All all of us within our practice um, at Integrated, we've all used the Libre. Mm-hmm. Um, all got our like trial, you know, a couple of sensors to try out. And I tried it as many people often do. You make yourself the guinea pig, right? You try a couple products at one time to see what's actually right. Right. Um, so I wore my Dexcom along with the Libre, and the three sensors of the Libre that I wore they were all consistently reading lower than my actual sensed Dexcom mm-hmm. and finger stick values were consistently sensor to sensor. They were all consistently different and enough that from a blood sugar and a meal bolus and a correction standpoint strategy, it would have been enough of a difference to make adjustments kind of diff- difficult to base off of. Okay. Um, is there anything that you can do about it? In this setting, what we usually recommend is for the prime times that insulin is going to be dosed based on a glucose value, Mm -hmm. do a finger stick. Okay. Get a finger stick and dose off the finger stick. Don't dose off of your Libre. What you can know from any sensor system that might be reading a little bit off or different than you know it should be Mm -hmm. is that while there is a difference in the number, the trend is still a good it's still a value for you. So you can still tell whenever you're trending up or trending down and you can use that to your advantage for future planning. Okay. So, um, but you wouldn't necessarily dose off the value. So Adam, I guess what Jenny's saying is when you find you're not trusting the device test, but still look for, I mean, I guess I've never used the Libre, but arrows and direction and rate of change and stuff like that. And then when you really need to know, I guess what we're saying is, is that if it's a pre-meal and it says you're 120, but you think you might be 150, that's important to know when you're making your bolus. Right. Okay. But hmm, it's still important. I don't want to minimize the idea that a big, a big difference is a problem, but at least you can be safe when you're, when you're putting in like more insulin. When you're putting in insulin. All right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right, cool. So but Matt, it's, it's to let her know that that's not uncommon. Gotcha. A, a lot of people find the variance. There. It's going to be yeah. hard to keep. See, I want to, we only have an hour, so I need to keep Jenny moving, but Jenny will talk and like get all her <laughs> knowledge out. And then we're going to answer one of your questions if we do that. So, uh, Maddie, how do you, Jenny, see CGM um, being used in patient hospital settings now that we're seeing 
uh, COVID-19 era? How is it going to help diabetics? And Maddie, what I'll say to you is, did you hear the episode of the podcast that went up today? Because uh, Dr. Dan DeSalvo came on and talked about how Dexcoms are being used in hospitals right now. But So I have something to add, but you go first. That's pretty awesome because mm-hmm. I have I've not obviously listened. I've been working with people all day. So um so I have I have both pro, pro and con feelings to it. Okay. Pro from the standpoint that great, there's a lot more information, there's a lot more data. It it can be beneficial. Mm-hmm. Um on the con side, however, there's a lot of data. And healthcare workers in hospital who we already know have have little experience with type 1 consistent glucose information management. Okay. They are used to doing finger sticks every several hours to base decisions on, mm-hmm. right? Whether it's dosing or whatever adjustments in doses with all of this extra information, the trends, the alarms, the things that are are going to be visible to them. Yeah. There's no there's no quick education that can be done within 10 minutes to the thousands of healthcare nurses, doctors, whoever that's looking at this information to help the person wearing it. Yeah. I feel like there's a lot of information. They're not going to know what to do with it. So that's what I feel like. I feel like it's good, but it's also, I don't know. Well, let me share with you what Dan said. Uh, Dr. DeSalvo told me, that what it was really helpful with in the moment was it was preserving PPE for nurses because they were, you know, they do finger sticks on patients a lot. And now Mm -hmm. you're asking them to go in and out and change their gear every time. So now they're, I guess Dexcom, if I, if I heard him right, gave the patients like Android phones. And so there's a cloud service and now the nurses are able to look at the patients through the the share and follow. Right. And then sure. they're like, okay, you know, they come down the line, and then here's Mary, and Mary's blood sugar is this. It seems pretty reasonable. I don't need to go in there. So that was the idea. What I heard while he was talking was, it's a great opportunity nationwide for healthcare professionals to see how glucose monitoring works, right? And maybe, maybe in the future, things will go better. Like I told him a story of when Arden had a surgery, and you know, the nurse didn't know anything about it. I just kept talking to nurses till I found one who's like, I have a friend who has diabetes. I go, you're my friend now. Come over here and explain to all these people why right. we need to leave the CGM on her during this procedure. Um, but anyway, that's what I thought of it, Maddie. I thought it was, I think it's um, it's great for that saving of the PPE. And on the other side, I think it's a good first step in bringing the technology out to people. So It is. Yeah. yeah. I also think, you know, in that scenario, as if they're using it based on the protocol that they would have used finger sticks and they're only checking at certain points to mm-hmm. see what the values are or responding to alarms. Yeah, it's absolutely valuable. Um, I just hope that I would expect somebody has schooled them in what to pay attention yeah. to and what not to. My, <laughs> my thought was is that it was it was going to be used in a really, I don't know, like a limited way in the beginning just to keep, you know, from being with people. Uh, I saw Donnie ask uh, about managing weight with type one. So, and he said, thank yeah. you for being here. So thank you very much, Donnie, for being here as well. Yeah. Best way to tackle losing weight for type one. Why do, why can people with diabetes who are using insulin have trouble with weight loss? The first thing is definitely insulin management. Okay. That's a, that's a huge piece of it because insulin is a storage hormone. It's meant to move food glucose out of the system into the cells. Either it gets used by your muscles or it gets packed away into fat, right? So 
from a physiology standpoint, even if you look at a body that doesn't have diabetes, if you out eat what you really need, then overall your body can only pack away that extra calorie, right? Okay. And it does it with insulin, right? To manage the normal blood sugars that should be there. Same thing is happening though. And so a person even without diabetes can gain weight. That That's how they gain weight. Essentially their body's just packing away more than what they needed because their body's managing blood sugar the right way. In a body with diabetes though, because insulin management is something that we control, the body's no longer doing it for us. It's something that we have to, we have to adjust more precisely than people are often given tools to manage. Okay. Right. So overall, one, make sure that your baseline dose, that basal, is right to begin with. Mm-hmm. It's in the right place. Then the next thing to tackle is the food management, the strategizing around meals, timings. You're not using more insulin to cover than you actually need to. You're not covering with extra food when drops happen because you used too much insulin that you sh- didn't really need to have there. Right. Um, and then the other piece, of course, beyond that is, are, are you eating what your body needs to eat? Mm-hmm. You know, because if even in this case, if you've got great looking blood sugars, but you're constantly like popping food in and covering it with insulin, you could have wonderful looking blood sugar values, you could still be out eating what you need. Right. <laughs> so so um, I usually, it's funny, I saw John pop in and he said, don't feed your insulin, which is, is, is what I was going to say. I think I think that when people who listen to the podcast have there's two trains of thought. When you're learning how to use the insulin in the beginning, I will say be more aggressive. You can always have juice later. I don't mean that for the rest of time in memoriam. I mean while you're figuring it out. Like if you continue to bolus and get low, fix the bolus. Don't keep fix you know, don't keep drinking juice. Um, but it's a great point because people with type one can start to think of diabetes first. And instead of health, right? So all of a sudden an Oreo cookie is not a bad thing because I need it because I'm getting low. Except your real issue is you need to stop yourself from getting low so you don't have to eat an unscheduled Oreo. And by the way, don't eat Oreos. They're they're poison. But, um, but, you know, like, (laughs) they really, I don't think there's any food in them whatsoever. But my point is, is that don't feed the insulin, but learn the steps so that you can do that. And Jenny, this is a wonderful place to say that diabetespro-tip.com is now open and available to find all the diabetes pro tips with Jenny and I, uh, all in one place in case you guys have had trouble finding them in the podcast player. Yes. And we've also gone over that weight piece in there. There's a great I episode know, about at that. At least one, if not a couple mentions yeah. someplace else. So. All right. I have, um, I have one for you uh, and one for, here's a quick one. Yeah. Jenny, you wear G6 and so does Arden. Do you ever calibrate on day one if it's off? No. You don't, you let it go. I let it go. And how do you manage that with your algorithm that you're using? I manage it by doing finger sticks because I have had, as we talked about right away, um, I've had diabetes long enough that finger sticks have always been a norm, even once things got approved for not having to do them anymore. Mm -hmm. I still do them. So that's my thing. And with the algorithm that I use for my insulin management, um, I can, I can populate in my finger stick value for my algorithm to use that value rather than the CGM value. And then I get proper dose adjustment. And you have an Apple iPhone, right? 
I do. So you go so Apple Health. You go into the health kit and you tell it you add your blood sugar there and yep. then that program you're using. Yes. All right. It uh, we'll just, the, it the, in. the loop app will see it and then it knows what your yes. blood sugar is. Correct. And so my um my way of dealing with it is if it's close, I roll. Do you know what I mean? Like if and I test too. Um, they're, they're advertisers on the show, but we use the contour next one meter. I find it to be incredibly accurate. And so in those first number of hours, while the, the sensor wire still, you know, baking in, I, I will test, but I'm going to tell you that if it says she's 70 and she's really, you know, and she's really 90, I might let it go a little longer to see what happens. But there are times I do calibrate to get it together. It's not Mm -hmm. a frequent thing. I probably only calibrate on day one when I calibrate. Mm-hmm. But having said that, we don't do it very often at all. We we lean yeah. on the finger sticks too. And there are I, there's there are so many that trains of thought in terms of that that I've run into in working with people. Some people have got this like system; it works really well for them. Awesome, great. Even if it's not what's recommended, if it's working for you, I'm not going to tell you to stop doing that, right? Um, but from the standpoint of education, you know, we recommend following the the recommendations of Dexcom. <laughs> yeah, of course. <laughs> Don't calibrate in the first 24 hours. We would never do anything like that. Uh, yeah. Somebody asked for links. I just put them in the comments. Um, and honestly, Jenny and I are not used to being seen. We, you know, I mean, for those of you who are new, I have a podcast called the Juice Box Podcast, and Jenny is a frequent contributor to it. Um, and uh, she's not on every episode. So if you really like her and you hate me, you're going to be pissed when you like tune in today and she's not there. Um, <laughs> but anyway. Uh, calibration day one. Actually, that's sort of covered the next question I had for you is there's a person who is excited about algorithm, algorithm pumping in the, in the future. Right. But is worried that because they don't always see their CGM rock, you know, rock solid. And they're, they're afraid of what's going to happen next. What I would say to that is, you know, Arden has definitely done both ways and it's never been an issue. Like, I've never ran around the house going like, oh, my God, everyone's going to die because, you know, Dexcom is off and we're using an algorithm. It just it's a it's a reasonable worry if you've never done it. But once you do it, I don't think it's something you'll think about again. Does that strike you like that? No, it does. And it's actually a question that I've gotten more than a number of times from people that I work with, Mm -hmm. um, especially parents of kids, you know, wondering what about those um, uh, compression lows? right? What happens if an algorithm is using that and now it's not really low, what will have happened? Well, you know what, because the system, if you're using one of these hybrid types of systems, whether it's, you know, on the market or yet to be on the market, um, if you're using one of them, it's going to adjust based on that change in blood sugar that's being seen. Right. But most often, especially in this example of a compression low, that writes itself pretty quickly. In fact, you can tell it's a compression low because it looks like your blood sugar is literally like nosedived off of a cliff. Yeah. And then it comes back up very quickly. I mean, you could you can tell it's wrong. Well, yes, the system will have reacted to that drop in blood sugar. Mm-hmm. It may have taken away insulin where it was supposed to, but within the quick time frame of it writing itself, that algorithm's also going to write what it took away behind that. Right. So I've personally, I've had sensors that have been off. Thankfully, not very many. My Dexcom, thankfully, has been very accurate Mm -hmm. for me in all the years I've used it. Um, But I have had compression lows. And since I've been using, you know, 
this algorithm. I haven't noticed that that's honestly been an issue. I've never had any problems with excessive high blood sugars or no problems with like strange, odd, low blood sugars that shouldn't have been there because of this sensor, you know, issue being off. Yeah. Uh, I hear you. I'm, I'm down. I think it's, it works. I mean, I've, I, I'm not going to tell you, I haven't gone in Arden's room and been like, is she like the first thing I do if she's laying on her side, cause she wears hers on her, like her butt, hips. her hips. Mm-hmm. So I'll touch her hip that she's not laying on. And if it's not there, I'm like, roll over. <laughs> I just kind of like shove her. And, um, and then you'll wait a minute. It comes back. Interesting side note about a compression load with a CGM. The number it's reading is actually correct still, although not indicative of what your blood sugar is. So it's reading your interstitial fluid, which is, you know, freely running through your body. But when you press down, it disperses it. So it's dispersing some of the glucose that it's reading. So it might tell you your blood sugar is 60 all of a sudden. The truth is the interstitial fluid around the wire, the glucose value is 60. Your whole body might be 110. But that's why when you roll off of it, after it it gets the algorithm gets to think a couple more times, it'll come back and tell you, oh, no, you're 110 and that's it. How does that, and, and Jenny makes a great point. If that happens, the worst thing that's going to happen is the algorithm is going to take insulin away. You might get right. hot, but you know, you might get a little higher, but you're not going to be in a dangerous situation. And that's a great trade-off, I think. Yeah, you know, it is. Uh, Jenny, I'm going to ask you, somebody jumped on and said that I recently said on the podcast that I don't abide a, uh, a bad pump site, that I, I, get a, I get away from a bad pump site pretty quickly. But she wants to know, how do you know it's not just your period or, you know, and so I'll, do you know, cause you and I deal the same way about that. We don't stick around for a site oh, no. we don't like. So, I don't stick around. And, yeah. and I guess, you know, from a female perspective, if you're like, well, gosh, is it, is this my period or is it, you know, a bad site or whatever? Mm-hmm. I mean, most women, most, not all, but most women have a pretty consistent timing rhythm to their cycles. Yeah. Right. So if, if you know that it's probably coming into that time or you know that it's that time and your high blood sugars are usually associated with that, you wouldn't necessarily think that this is, unless you, you haven't changed your, let's say your settings or your insulin doses as you needed to for this time period. And if you forgot to do that, obviously the high could likely be associated with that. The best way to tell though, I mean, because even in your period, you could certainly have a bad sight. Mm-hmm. And it's like two things hitting you at one time. <laughs> that's not fun either. So getting hit from both ends. Right. That's yes, not that's go. not joyful at all. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, if if that's the case, I think regardless for anybody, whether you're male or female, if you've got an odd looking high blood sugar, yeah, that shouldn't be there right? You know, you've done everything you would normally have done. And this is just a weird, all of a sudden you're like double arrow up and you're to something. You take a correction. Right. In my case, and what I recommend, if it's not coming down within the next 30, 60 minutes, that site's done. Yeah, It is done. I don't play with it. Even if I pull it off and I'm like, well, well, it doesn't look like, I don't know, whatever the problem was. It does the cannula is not bent. It's not bloody. It doesn't look weird. Sometimes it might be, look a little bit wet or mm-hmm. maybe leaky. So maybe for some reason the site was like leaking up along the cannula and you didn't really get as much insulin as you should have. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't play with like numbers that aren't where they would normally be. Right. And there's a couple of ways that you know, the way I taught myself. So the answer to a lot of these questions ends up being 
repetition. You do something over and over again, and one day it just makes sense to you, right? And you don't, uh, you lose that checklist in your head, like, well, I, oh, is it this? Is it this? Like, you stop doing that. You just see it, you recognize it, and you go. So before I could recognize it, I would inject with a needle. So if the mm -hmm. pump didn't act the way I expected it to, I'd come back with a syringe. Now, if there was no reaction after that, then I was pretty sure that my site was over. Also, last day of a site, um, you know, or you just put it on and it it just never ends up working. Because I know some people switch their pumps and they 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 all experience a little bit of a high when they put it on. Uh, there's a lot of you know talk about why that is. I part of me thinks in children that it's anxiety. It's the you know it's the eh, that that whole thing kind of gets you jacked up a little bit. That could be it. That's what it used to be for Arden. She's obviously much more relaxed around it now. But we've changed a pump this morning. It went on, and we did a more aggressive basal rate for the next hour to try to her blood sugar was good. Mm -hmm. It was like one ten, but to try to mitigate any kind of a rise. Um, you know, same thing on the other side. If you think it's not working anymore, once you get it back on, you have to really think about it for a second, how long has this site not been working? Right. And now I'm just going to slap on a new site and go, oh, everything's fine now because the insulin delivery is back. It's not because everything for now is for later and everything that's happening to you now is from before. Insulin's right. always from before. Uh, go back to the beginning if you're falling in late, but um, that's really it. Now, the next one is um, more for you. Although people are asking follow-up questions. So hold on. This is great info on inside. Oh, great. Okay, hold on. By the way, there are people in the comments helping each other. Somebody was like, what's the compression loan? Before we could explain it, they jumped in. It. You guys rock. Awesome. Um, Jenny, I drew a picture of a lady with a big belly to remind me that someone asked about good tips for thinking about getting pregnant. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why great. I just didn't write down pregnant, but... Anyway, I'm not showing anybody. Right. It's not a good drawing, but go ahead. <laughs> okay. Good tips for getting pregnant. So preconception time. Um, we we kind of define preconception time, the three to six months, potentially even a year up to when you want to start trying to conceive. Mm -hmm. And the goal there is to aim to get glucose values into the pregnancy target. If you think about um, and or don't know what the targets are for pregnancy, um, the goal is to be under 7%. Um, and then in pregnancy and A1C, more around 6% within the fives if the lows aren't the big reason for being in the fives. Okay. Um, but typically most practices will say under 6.5% through pregnancy, more around six is the preferred, mm -hmm. um, just from the standpoint of health of you and the developing baby. Um, for the preconception time, then it's really focusing in quite a lot on what are the variables that you can learn mm -hmm. and manage better in your life? And if some of the variables, like every Friday night, you eat the whole box of chocolate, you know, ice cream bonbons, and you can't manage around that, you know what? For nine months, you can manage not eating your bonbons on Friday night. Yeah. I mean, that's, you know, those are the things, those are the strategies that you sort of learn in that preconception time. Um, I mean, the beginning tips really are, look at what preconception or look at what pregnancy targets for blood sugar should be because aiming to get those as close preconception will make it so much easier once you're pregnant yeah. because you don't have to shift this whole mental, Oh my gosh, now my blood sugar has to be 90 and it's been riding at 150 
don't just count on I'm going to get knocked up and then I'll do this better. Right, right. right. Just and that probably wasn't the right way to say that, but you know what I mean. Thoughtfully and through love, make a baby and then try to get better at your blood sugar. Get better first. Prove it to yourself that you can do it over and over again. Jenny, if you had to say to somebody a way they could get better at this, what would you tell them to do? What would I tell them to do? Like a web address. Yes. Well, they can call me. (laughs) (laughs) I just put Jenny's email address in the comments. They could. They mm-hmm. could also. I we've got. Um, I wrote a book with a good friend of mine, um, Ginger Vieira, mm-hmm. who's written a couple of her own books. Um, it's it's pregnancy management for type one diabetes. Um, you can find it on Amazon, and we actually have a big preconception month to month guide for pregnancy management, postpartum lactation. We've yeah. got all of the information in the books. So I would also bet that sometime later option. this year, there might be a pro tip episode about being pregnant with somebody too, because that just sounded like a good idea. And I typed it into our, our running list of ideas for the podcast. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. Um, uh, okay. That's a great answer. I wanted to just say that I think, I think that the, once you, you figure this all out and you get pregnant, you keep your blood sugar super stable and your A1C is nice and low forever. It's going to be difficult, but try not to lose track of it after the baby comes. Like, right. just you can do it. If you did it, then you could do it forever. You know what I mean? Like, right. you know, it, it's interesting as I interview more and more people over the years to see that some people who have trouble managing their diabetes for themselves don't have trouble managing it for someone else. You have no idea how many people have come on and said, I met somebody and I fell in love and I got married and I wanted to be healthier so that our relationship, or I had a baby and I realized I wanted to do more. That's not specific to diabetes, by the way. It's a very human idea. But yeah, keep putting yourself at the top of your list of things to worry and be concerned. If you can take care of you, you can take care of other people. uh, 100%, I think. And wait till you see having a baby. It's it's wonderful. Nothing like having a kid. My wife and I were just sitting around the other night going, we think having these babies was really Really good Aww. idea. No, we were joking because they were both being annoying at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> People are thanking us, which is very lovely. Thank you very much. Aww. We really appreciate that you guys listen. Um, yeah. Evan asks a question back about bolusing that I feel like I have something to say. He said, is there anything physiologically wrong with a post-meal spike if it comes down later without extra insulin? Um, would you try to master that meal? I think you probably can. I mean, unless it was... Like you said, well, you know, I can't even say unless it's cereal because I can get cereal right sometimes too. So, um, yeah, Evan, in my opinion, if you're going up, hanging up, coming back and leveling out again and never getting low, there is a way to get more insulin up front. And, you know, that and we talked about it earlier that really Mm -hmm. Evan should go back and listen to the beginning of the live. Right. Yeah. And I also think, you know, from the standpoint of that kind of management, what it also leads into longer term, Mm -hmm. if you consider for the most part, you're looking at your day, let's say you're using a CGM and you can see how much of the time you're in range and where you want to be. And you're only, let's call them problematic times are these spikes above where you really would want to be after a meal. But the end result is that you're back in target and that looks awesome to you. Right. Then one, managing the timing again, it's all about timing the insulin, right? But two, that peak is still leading into your overall A1C, right? It's still leading into time out of range. And those post-meal spikes 
also lead towards things like some of those many things people don't want to talk about, but the complications, more of those microvascular complications with these peaks that come into play, the more you can minimize and have more gentle rolls through the day, the better long-term. So, right. Um, to do your best and keep messing around a little sooner, a little later, a little more, a little less in there somewhere is the answer. It sounds like he's got the amount right. And the timings mm-hmm. off. Listen, Evan, if you don't listen to the podcast, I, I maintain that most of managing insulin is timing and amount. It's just about getting the right amount in the right place where the need comes in. If you can get more upfront to stop that initial spike, it might not have to be that much more. You'd be surprised. It could end up being a couple more minutes of a pre-bolus or another half a unit of insulin or something random like that. And that's still because that momentum from the food is so great at that moment, it'll eat up that insulin. It won't leave you extra on the back end. It'll make you well. Right. Hopefully. Um, Julia asked, what do you consider a gentle roll? Did you just use the words gentle roll? I did. Okay. Do you mean like one of those little Pillsbury things with the. Oh no, no, no. no. (laughs) Julia, I've, I can, I can talk Jenny. As a matter of fact, if Jenny's husband ever leaves her, we're perfect for each other. Uh, (laughs) What she means is not like, not like sharp up, sharp down. She means like, it's cool if you go like this a little bit. Um, By the way, this is so much of what we do is, is easier when people can see our hands moving. Jenny and my hands move a lot while we're talking on the (laughs) phone. We do. And the funny thing is nobody can ever see like our expressions or anything because it's just all voice. There are times when Jenny goes, I wish people could see what we're doing right now. And I'm like, yeah, they can't. So, uh, oh, Rachel, it is the best podcast ever. Thank you for saying though. Um, I asked if uh, in the group earlier, I forgot I would ask here. I've been pumping on Omnipod for six months and I've just noticed a pattern. Day one runs high. Day two, good. Day three, low. Any ideas how to combat this? Um, more or less insulin. She's heard of the opposite problem Brittany has of day three being mm-hmm. a little higher. I mm-hmm. would say that's if I see anything, it's day three higher. Arden's pumps either work right out to 80 hours or right around two and a half days. Yeah, 70. I was going to say right at 70 hours ish. Then I have to start paying attention more. I've it's, actually personally noticed that when it does, it's not a time factor, it's more of a when my pod gets to about the 20 unit mark, I can almost guarantee if I continue to use it after that for boluses or anything, yeah, I will ride higher, even though the pump tells me I've delivered the insulin. And it's the same way, it's the same factors, ratios, everything that I've used. It's it's a it's a dose amount from what I've and I've used Omnipod since 2006. So I've sure got a lot of experience of years. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. I, I, I was telling Jenny the other day, Arden's been using it since 2006 and yeah. it's, it's, it's amazing. Like I, I have nothing bad to say. Uh, yeah. you know, a number of people asked, they said they have the opposite of the feet on the floor up. They have a feet on, they, they wake up in the morning and their blood sugar drops pretty drastically. Have you heard about that from anybody? I've actually not had that so question so then would we consider maybe that the basal leading up to their wake-up time is too strong the question would be first which is always my question to people it is your wake-up time the same because if it is the same and you're noticing that drop as soon as you get out of bed in the morning okay then the next thing to do would be try to sleep in and see if the drop happens because my guess would be the drop is there, 
because you're getting up at the same time. Mm -hmm. You think it's because you're getting out of bed, but it's because, as you just said, the basil in the hours preceding that are probably too high and the drop was going to happen anyway. Um, So if, however, you find that when you wake up in the morning and or sleep in, it's completely different. Let's say the sleep in stays totally stable. And when you wake up and get out, that's when the drop happens. Yeah. That's interesting. I mean, it's it's the complete opposite of what a good majority of people see. It's not saying that it's not your personal experience. I've got friends who have a drop in their blood sugar with adrenaline rather than the typical peak in blood sugar because of adrenaline. Mm-hmm. So it could be the case. It I would say that it's going to be a little bit, it'll be a little bit harder to maybe manage a drop yeah. because if it's related to when you get out of bed and you're not really wanting to like eat glucose tablets or drink some juice just to stop the drop. The only, the couple of options would be, well, if you can get up at about the same time, you could technically decrease the basal leading into that time. Mm -hmm. So the drop doesn't happen. The only thing there is if you, if you get up later, then you're not really going to need that decrease. And you might get higher then. Listen, because of this whole Corona thing, Arden has been, she shifted her life drastically she's staying up way later and getting up um way way very late yeah and so i know if by 6 a.m i don't take away the power of her basil by half she's going to be low by eight o'clock like because her daytime numbers are you know the insulin we use during the day is just different than what we use at night at night she needs far less I don't know. I hope that was helpful. Let's say I know I have a drop because I'm not waking up at the same time every day. When I had a normal work schedule, there was no drop when I wake up. So then Laura, look, is did you do you have a stronger basal rate in the time you're supposed to be awake? Because if so, then that's it. Your basal's okay. just building up and building up and you have nothing going on inside of your body that needs resistance from extra insulin then. Right. And at that point, a basal could act like a bolus eventually. Yeah. Right. It could. Ooh, I like the way I said that. Well, Melinda, thank you for loving the podcast. Thank you. This morning, I was 111, Justin says, when I woke up later in bed and read the news, got up 45 minutes later and went to 72. Hmm. Hmm. And that's not, Justin, it's tough. I can't have a conversation, but was that not basal related? Somebody here said they have uh, a new basal program that's called Pandemic. (laughs) (laughs) So that's a good point, too. Don't just change your settings. You can make a new program so that when this is all over, you can switch back to the way it was. I've had to... You know what? I have a question for you, Jenny. This happens sometimes when we do the podcast. Let's do it now. And then I'm going to get to uh, a question about kids and growth hormone. Um, I was interviewing someone today who talked about when they got pregnant, they suddenly needed much less insulin. And I was saying to them, it's interesting because for three days before Arden's period, she almost needs no insulin too. And I'm wondering what hormone, we're going to have to figure this out. I know this isn't going to something you're going to know now, but we're going to figure this out and talk about later on the podcast. There must be some hormone that's released for ovulation that must also exist while you're pregnant. And maybe I'm wrong, but I'm going to find out if that's true. Because those two things, like a bell went off my head. I was like, ooh, maybe this is it. Because Arden will, you know, Jenny and I have talked about it privately. Arden will use like almost no insulin for a number of days before some of her periods. Not all of them, you know, just to keep things interesting. Uh, but do you think, did I just say something you've never thought of before? No, it's, well, and typically, oops, 
phone noise and you went off my screen. There you are now. Oh, hi. Okay. Hi. Sorry. Um, I was going to say the hormone that's present in the lead up to your cycle, mm-hmm. as well as the hormone that's present, very heavily prevalent in the first part of your pregnancy in that first trimester up to about like six weeks is progesterone. Your body is having this ramp up, almost up a hill climb. And when you get your period, because your body's like, hey, you're not pregnant. So then the progesterone kind of like falls off the cliff, right? And you come back down to this normal level. So most women, not Arden, but Mm. most women have a ride up in blood sugar in the days before their cycle starts. Mm. And then it calms down. Same thing in those early weeks of pregnancy. Typically, women will actually see a heightened need for insulin in the first about six to seven-ish weeks. And then around eight weeks of pregnancy, there is a bit of a dip off for a couple of reasons, um, you know, hormonally and what the body is doing. Why there would be a dip in blood sugar prior to the first day of a cycle, or maybe in the first part of pregnancy, when normally most women are experiencing a rise, the hormone, the hormone drive there, I can't say that it's different. I would have to research. Let me give you a number, another variable for this story. And I guess this is me ruining an upcoming episode. But what if the pregnancy didn't last much longer than eight weeks? Maybe there was something else going on. Sure. Yeah. In fact, that is If you've had a normal increase in insulin in early pregnancy, and if prior to that eight to 10-ish week point where usually your insulin needs at least stabilize Mm -hmm. and or dip down a little bit, if that dip happens sooner, oftentimes it can potentially be an indication of like miscarriage. um, Only because the hormones are not staying steadily, you know, There's not a steady climb. There's also, you know, in early pregnancy, if you've ever had miscarriage before and or you're just worried, um, you can always get this the HCG hormone tested, which is the early pregnancy hormone that's released that actually gives you that positive result in your pregnancy home pregnancy test. Um, So that hormone should actually mostly double, sometimes triple in those early weeks of pregnancy, which in it tells you is that your pregnancy is progressing the way that it's supposed to. Okay. Um, so those hormones, you know, that might have some indicative factor too, but that would be something I'd have. That's a great question. Yeah, I want to look into have it. To do a little more research. I found like there's more in there for, to understand. Hey, I want to go back to Justin for a second, talking about getting up and getting low. Justin, I just had a thought. Maybe you should do a basal test day. Maybe you're eating enough to feed a basal rate. That's too strong. And that way you sat in bed, you looked at the news and everything. Maybe that is what's happening. Maybe it's not. But if you basal test and find out you're always low, maybe, you know, like when I talk about like, you know, manipulating basal rates, sometimes when you manipulate them too much, Justin, your insulin belongs somewhere else. So you can, you might be, and I could be wrong, but you could be in a situation that a lot of MDI people find themselves in where when they switch to a pump and they realize that their basal's way wrong, but, you know, people are like, oh, I switched to a pump. My blood sugar started going up. Well, it's possible your basal, you know, before was too strong or too weak, you know, one way or the other. And so I guess the way I like to talk about it is, so then what's happening, you can't draw a parallel to the things you think they're attached to. So I don't know, Justin, right. that's maybe worth a shot. 
Somebody here said, I've been diabetic for 31 years, Melanie. Hi, and you guys have changed my life. That's lovely. Aww. Isn't that nice? It makes Jenny and I feel nice. Um, and they can see us smile. Yeah, because right? we really do smile That's when we're doing the really podcast. Nice. Yeah, because I read those to Jenny, and, and you probably think we're just all like, just jaded and we're like, uh, it doesn't matter. But no, it makes everybody really happy. It does. Sabo, can type 1 diabetes go into remission? I can answer that one. No. It, that, it definitely can't. Um, oh, what's the proper way to basal test? Caroline, in my opinion, that's a long conversation. It's not an easy conversation to have. Uh, but Jenny and I have had it in the pro tip episodes. Um, so find the oh, link. To, go to diabetesprotip.com and look for the basal testing episode. I'd listen to all of them if I was you, but uh, at least to get to that one. Uh, Justin says, hmm, like maybe we're on to something. All right, uh, you're good to go for a little longer? Yeah, I'm great. Caitlin, my toddler has decided to... Wait, where did it go? Somebody else said something about Caitlin disappeared. My toddler has decided to pace himself differently during meals, resulting in dipping down into the 60s mid-meal. I'm concerned about our low percentage has hiked to 6% and wondering if we should make changes. So if your toddler has now decided to like pick at things like he'd rather he or she, I don't know, graze like over the next one and a half hours instead of like slamming it all down within 15 minutes. Maybe that was the case. You know, kids are different. I've got a three-year-old. They sort of roll and change without telling you they're going to change. (laughs) So it sounds like the dose is probably not wrong. It would be, again, the timing of the insulin distribution. Right. So if the picking of the food, he or she ends up eating everything, but it's in a slower time frame, if you're on a pump, an extended bolus. Yeah. So extended bolus, you could do two different boluses if you wanted. If that, sca- that idea scared you, um, Kenny says, try to get them to eat the carbs first or the shorter to help that there's a lot, you can manipulate the food. You know, mm-hmm. now you're going to get me into my, my coma when I'm on stage and I start talking um, too often with diabetes, we think of just one thing. How does the insulin impact the number? But you should be wondering about how the food impacts the insulin, how the food impacts the number, how the mm-hmm. insulin impacts the food. Like there's all different sort of perspectives Angels. you can use to think about it. And one of them in there is the answer. Um, and Marcel uh, makes a good point. Maybe the person who asked if diabetes could go into remission, maybe they were asking about honeymooning. And, and so, uh, so back to that, some people really can, um, maybe we should go over honeymooning real quick, but honeymooning is a spot where you have type one diabetes, you have this insulin need. And then sometimes for a day, three days, three months, it's, I've, I've spoken to people it's gone on for years for suddenly it feels like their pancreas is shouldering the burden a little more again. And then they call that a honeymoon. Um, I think that's a a fairly good explanation of what honeymooning is. So it does Mm -hmm. eventually, for most people, go away. Um, Correct. And eventually, you will return to using insulin completely. Right. Right. And by go away, I mean your pancreas is gonna it's gonna give up finally. Gonna poop out. Go down like Bugs Bunny eventually. Yeah. (laughs) And then for those who are diagnosed as adults or what we call um, often call LADA, um, some adults. It can actually have a very long 
honeymoon yeah. where they may very well be able to control even without insulin for months at a time after they're initially diagnosed um, with just lifestyle changes before they actually start to need to use a basal insulin and eventually a bolus insulin for right. meal times, et cetera. So let me address this one question. Then there's another one here I like that I want to go to. Uh, back to Saba because he's asking, is there a cure on the horizon in the near future? I don't know that there's any cure on the, in the near future. I, I have a very simple concept around this. I live with a lot of hope for advancements, but I make decisions day to day like they're never coming because far too many people I see ignored thinking, oh, this will be over soon. I can, my body can take bad management for a little while. I, that's how I feel about it. I, I, I act like it's not going to happen. I hope I'm hopeful, but you know, somewhere in the middle there, I think is the answer. Um, and Jenny, do you know of any cures on the horizon? I don't, there's, as there have been long-term, there's a lot of research. There's a lot of animal-based studies that show some warrant, some benefit, right. but you know, 32 years with diabetes, I explicitly remember my doctor telling my parents not to worry that within seven years, it was seven years when I was diagnosed within seven years, right. you yeah. won't have to worry about this anymore. And, you know, even into my teen years, then my teen brain even started to tell me this is like lifelong, right? Just the hope has always continued to be there that maybe there will be some grand discovery and it'll get through and everybody will benefit from it. You know, I am, I'm hopeful more in technology mm -hmm. and where the technology piece is going for helping management. Yeah. Um, but I am hopeful, but I don't see it. I agree. Um, I, I, I'm, I'm, I hate saying that. I know it I, sucks to say it, but I'm on the same page with you. Uh, and not for any nefarious reason, just that it's a, no. if you really, if you go look, I think as a species, we've cured like eight things and a few of them are just inoculations. They're not even really cures. Right. So, um, I'd live like, I'd live like it's not going to happen with my actions around diabetes, but I'm always hopeful. I, and here's another thing, not to make light of it though. Um, but somebody said on the podcast recently, no one's going to cure diabetes and you're not going to know about it. It'll be on the news. You, you know, you'll, you'll figure it out or right. turn yourself into a mouse because it seems super easy to cure them from type <laughs> one diabetes. Maybe that's what we should be doing. Looking how to turn people into mice. Huh? Now we're getting somewhere. Yeah. I'm sorry. I feel bad about that, but all right. Mallory says, no, oh, no, wait, Mallory. I'm sorry. That's not the one I was going to read. Mallory's probably like, damn, they almost got the mine. Uh, Kelly said nearly every night after my son falls asleep, he shoots the 300. I've increased basil by as much as 95%. Um, but once he's there, I can't bring him down until he wakes up. Can I answer first? Sure. I was like, oh, I got like, I Hold your thought. <laughs> I'm just going to put something on that you can come through with. Trust me. Okay. It's probably just the same thing just I because your kid's basal rate is, I'm going to make up a number here, a half a unit an hour, and 95% puts him to a unit an hour, doesn't mean that's how much insulin he needs in that time. So you may have to extend on your pump the amount of basil you're allowed to use to get to the point where you can keep him down because there is an amount of insulin that will stop that kid's blood sugar from going up and hold him steady. What were you going to say? What I you're said? So you're so funny. <laughs> so, pretty much along that line. Yes. Okay. One is you've got data that shows you that this is happening every night, right? right? You're not like, oh, this is only two days and now it's not happening anymore. This is, it sounds like it's every night. So one, you know, insulin needs to change mm -hmm. Two, right along with what you said. It's 
in very low level basal rates, especially in many kids, if you're turning basal up by 95% at a basal that's 0.1, you're not hitting the mark by any means. Yeah, just remember and you're now at 0.2. Right. Yeah. It, it, that's, that's not hitting them. And you can even look at it a little further if you take into consideration what what's the climb in blood sugar. Let's say the child is starting at a blood sugar of 91 at bedtime and climbing up to 303, mm-hmm. right? That's a huge increase in blood sugar. Right. You can also take a look at, well, what is your correction factor? Most little kids have correction factors somewhere around like one unit changes their blood sugar by 150 points or by 200 points. If your kid is climbing 200 points, that little notch up to 0.2 when your kid really needs a whole unit to correct a 200 blood sugar climb. Right. That's how much you need to change the basal by. Yeah. Here's the thing. You'll hear me say this a lot if you listen to the podcast. You need more insulin. That's it. If you have more insulin, it wouldn't happen. And by the way, for the person who asked about the growth, and by the way, too, for a little kid, that could be growth overnight, right? Maybe. And for the person who jumped in and said their kid's uh, in the teens and going through growth and they can't keep their blood sugar down, here's my answer for that, too. Use more insulin uh, because there is an amount that will stop it. Trust me, there is an amount. Like Now, the question is, how do you get to that amount in a way that doesn't feel frightening, especially for somebody who's now talking about, look, it's supposed to be 0.5. I made it one. How am I possibly going to go higher than that? That feels frightening. Um, I've told this story on the podcast a long time, so I'm not going to waste it here, but there's an amount you can do. Just find yourself being more aggressive, cover with a fast acting juice if you've gotten too much. But the truth is, if you turn his basal up a little too high, he's not going to go from 300 to negative 10 out of nowhere. you know. And keep in mind, too, that if you see a rise at midnight, that doesn't mean change the basal at midnight. It could mean change the basal at 11 o'clock even, or it could be a little earlier, or a little sooner, depending on how his body or her body um, reacts to the increase of basal. Just like you putting in a bolus doesn't start working right away, putting in a basal doesn't start working right away. Um, there are more thank yous in here. Those are nice. Thank you. Um, Jen, do you have to go with, at the top of the hour? I've got about 15 minutes. Oh, Jenny's giving you her personal time. That's lovely. Um, the takeaway is more instant mirror. It always is. <laughs> uh, Kara, I'm glad you think this is awesome. Okay, so she got correction factors thinking about insulin that way. Um, Jeff is saying protein and fat dinners are hitting around dinner time. Okay, Scott. Uh, Jamie said, Scott, I've heard you say things about being in an insulin deficit from overnight. I'm pretty sure I understand what you mean. I suspect it's a reason why some people go higher than expected in the morning. It was a light bulb moment for me, so I'm sure others may find it helpful. Anyways, I'd love you guys to explain what you meant here. Um, I'll let Jenny explain what I meant so I can drink something. (laughs) I'll say what I mean afterwards. Just you go first. Relax. So if you're at a basal deficit, essentially, you're coming in to a time period when first thing in the morning, most people are trying to put food in right away, right? And if you're coming in at a deficit of insulin behind the scenes, then the impact of that food, even with potentially a pre-bolus, you're still going to rise because there wasn't enough behind it in the hours leading up to that meal time. If you're at a deficit of insulin as well, 
you're likely seeing that you're riding in at a blood sugar that's higher than you want to be, or it's higher than the target you've had your, your pump set to keep you at. Mm -hmm. And that's a telltale sign right there. And that's only then going to lead into that meal time also causing more of a rise up than you want right. because you're already starting higher than you wanted to begin with. I, I would, and I think of it, if you want a, a different way to think about it, it's like eating a meal without a pre-bolus, right? right? Because there's just, you, if you don't pre-bolus a meal, you start eating that the food's going to win way before the, before the insulin starts working. Same idea. Like Jenny said, people jump out of bed and they eat. And, you know, we just explained to the last person that you turn, you put a basal rate on, at, you know, not at midnight for a, for a jump up at midnight. So if you're getting up at seven in the morning and beginning to eat right away, your blood sugar's jumping up. It's possible your basal needs to be stronger starting at 6 a.m. And you still have to pre-bolus. It's not all the basal. You're going to have to pre-bolus and you're going to have to have the basal, right? It's all just the timing and amount. Everything you see with type 1 diabetes, in my opinion, um, is about the balance of insulin and using it when it's needed. And you have to be able to step back sometimes to see the bigger picture. People get hyper-focused on what's happening in the moment. I get up in the morning and my blood sugar gets high. That's it. Then they stop there. It's not about that. It's about before. I've, now, this is going to be the third time I said it. Everything, everything you do now with insulin is for later. But remember, now is always some other times later. Right. Ah, that's how Arnold Schwarzenegger tried to kill those people in that movie, right? <laughs> Time travel, time travel, time maybe. travel. Yes. Yeah, 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 that's all. I uh, think the other part of it too is that there is a very, there's a very emotional level to managing your diabetes mm -hmm. or managing somebody that you love's diabetes. Yeah. Right. And so as hard as it can be, sometimes you have to step outside of yourself and you have to kind of say, especially for the person who's managing their own diabetes, you kind of have to step back, take the emotion out and say, okay, I'm high. I really don't love being high, mm -hmm. but I'm high. Let's can, let's look at the information and see what I can do to fix it. Right. right? Um, sometimes taking that emotional piece out of it also makes you think a lot clearer about what you want to do. I mean, that's, that's the big reason for rage bowl. Right, right, right? Right. That's the big reason. You're like, darn it. I'm high. I maintain I maintain that I'm as good at this as I am because it's not happening to me. If I had type 1 diabetes, I wouldn't have this podcast. I'd be a mess. I'd be on the floor with my 10A1C going, I don't know what's happening. <laughs> you know, but it it was for my daughter, so. right? Like, no, nah, I don't know. Like I I you know, it's for her so that I'm able to I'm able to be more aggressive because I have a bigger fear of letting her down than I would have letting myself down, I think. So a lot of the things you'll hear about on the podcast, which by the way, you can listen to on any podcast app, absolutely for free. Just search for Juicebox Podcast. There's over 325 episodes. The podcast has been up for almost six years. Um, you know, if you don't have a podcast app, they should be free. If you can't find one, go to juiceboxpodcast.com, scroll to the bottom. There are links to all your different phones to get you on. Um, and someone just asked a question here, how to manage... Uh, unexpected activity, but a bunch of people just jumped in and said, have a snack, decrease your basil. Um, yeah, that's it. And Allison, something somebody said was amazing. I'm going to assume it was me and we'll just move on. Um, I don't really know what she's talking about. Uh, yeah, so they're talking about that. They're talking about activity around all this. Also, I want to bring up around, you know, a, a lot of people 
stress, anxiety, uh, or a sudden sedentary lifestyle because you're not going to work anymore, all those ideas. Somebody in here asked about, uh, they said their blood sugar is jumping up at, at night, not always since the pandemic has started. And I wonder if when your brain slows down after your day's over, do you not find yourself thinking or worrying about coronavirus because stress, anxiety, pain, there are a lot of things that can make your blood sugar go up. So I would yes. I would look into that a little bit. In fact, there's it's really funny that you bring that up because uh, somebody that I work with, she actually just emailed me. A, it has nothing to do with diabetes, but my brain was right away like bringing diabetes into the picture reading it. Mm -hmm. It's all about dreams since coronavirus became the thing that it is. Yeah. And the fact that dreams are, they are the way that our 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 mental self kind of manages through things and we can learn some things, you know, if your dreams are kind of scary or if they're really scary or if they're just sort of like hinting at weird things, yeah. you know, I mean, it's the way that your body manages to sort of work through some of the thoughts that it didn't have in the daytime. Mm -hmm. Right. Or that were sort of in the background and with diabetes in the picture, some of those can be very stress inducing in the overnight time period. So, you know, if you're looking at, you know, many of your overnight values and you're thinking, Oh, why this weird, this night was really weird. I had this big, strange rise and I woke up high and that's usually not happening for you. you know, maybe you had a horrible dream about <laughs> something that, you know, and it's not about never hugging another person again. <laughs> right. It could be. I mean, I had a, I had, after all this started, I had a horrible dream about zombies. Did you horrible? Like I woke up in, like a panic. And I usually, I don't remember many of my dreams. I usually sleep, sleep pretty soundly. Yeah. This dream had me like, I was like up and I was like. Levels. <laughs> well, Natalie just jumped in and said playing video games makes their teenage son's levels go up. That's adrenaline, I would yeah. imagine. And yeah. Natalie, I bet you they come back down again, right? And because that's that's another thing. So stress, anxiety, those sorts of things are are always going to, well, always have the ability to impact you. I'm sure there's some people who get stressed out and their blood sugars don't go up, but it, it does happen to a number of people enough yeah. that it's worth paying attention to. Yeah. And um, sometimes you can address the rise if you know that it's not going to come down. Sometimes you have to correct for it. Many times adrenaline rises, though, you often don't have to touch. Mm -hmm. Oftentimes once that stress factor, the adrenaline like surge sort of passes, you'll see things come back down. You know, it's funny. So, Somebody jumped in as you were making this and said, oh, a bad dream could make your blood sugar go up at night, Mira said. Um, and there are people, my daughter's goes up with Xbox. So if, you know, listen, it's yeah. not the easiest thing to, to I guess, schedule. But if you know Xbox time is going to be in a certain place, you probably could do a temp basal increase you for could. it. Um, and that would, uh, that would definitely Or kind help. of like weightlifters. If you know... If you've watched enough to know how much blood sugar typically rises during Xbox use, you could technically take an amount of insulin as a bolus to offset the typical rise that you see based on what your correction factor yeah. is. Let's see if we can get um, one more thing in before sure. you have to go. So somebody asked about their Dexcom user and they're talking about pre-bolusing and when do you know when to start eating? So for my daughter, in a perfect situation, I like to see a diagonal down arrow before she starts eating. And you also have to get right in your head what's high and what's low, too. You know, um, for me, I don't want my daughter, I try very hard for Ard not to go under 70. That's my goal. And I try for her not to go over 120. Do we always do that? We do not always do that. A number of times a day, she ends up higher. It just happens sometimes, okay? 
all the things that you just heard about happened to us too. My daughter's A1C has been between 5'2 and 6'2 for almost six years, but she got out of bed, didn't have enough insulin going because she slept in, tried to eat something with a lot of carbs, and her blood sugar's 200 right now. And it's and we're going to get it back down as fast as we can without it getting low. It's not You're not shooting for perfection. You're just shooting for as much time and range as you can get in there. But back to the initial question, I like to see a diagonal down arrow, but now I know how fast the food's going to hit her too. So you just have to practice, right? Like start at a hundred, put in the blood sugar. When you get the 91 diagonal down, eat, see what happens. Did you go up to 150, but then level back out? Cool. Maybe you could have waited till 85 diagonal down. Maybe that would have taken you to 130. So you, it's just trial and error. You have to go over and over again. Um, Experience teaches you yeah. a fair amount. Mm-hmm. John, I don't know that Jenny knows this answer, but I'll ask you before she goes. John wants to know if you know what factor, what factors affect the hypoglycemic risk value on the Dexcom Clarity app. Do you know what it takes into account to come up with that? I don't. It, I, I don't, but my assumption is that it calculates the percentage of time that you've been low within the time frame that you're looking at. Mm-hmm to classify what your risk is. You know, if you're, you know, 1% of the time low, I guarantee that your risk factor for lows is not high. Whereas if you're pretty consistently at 10% low, even if it's not the really red low, it's just that pink low, Mm -hmm. right? Because there's a different designation. Um, The the red low is like under 55 is the red low, right? Um, But I mean, if, if you're really low pretty consistently, that risk factor obviously goes up. I don't know exactly what parameters they're using to establish that percentage value for you. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah. all right, so let's we'll roll through these last three. Jamie brought up that if she waits for a diagonal down arrow for her kid, it goes lower. So it's going to be different for, for everybody. Yeah. Lisa is saying hello to us from Sweden and said we've both been very helpful in her first six months of being a type one mom. Hi, Sweden. That's cool. Uh, and Stu asks, do we recommend the in-pen, which I think we both do. Yes. Yes. Yeah. If you can't pump, uh, you can get a lot of the knowledge that a pump has from in-pen pairing with their in-pen app and your your glucose monitor. And even a meter, yeah, not as much. As, look, and Jenny's holding one right there. I've got the pink. You can get them in different colors. Too. Yeah. I, I've got a blue one here somewhere, but it's a demo. So, yeah. Um, uh, yeah. Okay. So listen, Jenny was only supposed to be here for an hour. It's four Oh nine. She's got to go back to her life. I want to say that at one point this, uh, was up to 120 people and it never got below 80, even 15 minutes after it was supposed to be over. So awesome. I really appreciate all you guys. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast. If you enjoy the podcast, please share it with somebody else. Uh, it's the only way it can grow. I do not have money to, uh, to do any kind of meaningful, um, you know, advertising for the show. In the last comment here again is Jenny's email address. You can hire Jenny. She works at Integrated Diabetes Services. You can have one-on-one calls just like this with her. Um, check it out. See if your uh, insurance has covered it or if you want to uh, want to pay cash or whatever you want to do. Jenny is very cool. She is 100% my diabetes spirit animal. I've never heard her say one thing that I was like, that's wrong. <laughs> But as I've mentioned on the podcast before, that might just be my narcissism because she agrees with me. I think she's terrific, but Thanks. who knows exactly, you know. Uh, this will be available on the podcast soon, uh, and it'll be running on uh, juiceboxpodcast.com as well. 
and it stays here on Facebook. So thank you everybody very much. And uh, I hope you guys have a great day. And Jenny, I really appreciate you doing this. Thank you. Yeah, no, this was great. And thanks to everybody who commented back and forth to each other as we were answering. It's a great way to help each other. Yeah, very cool. All right, guys, uh, wash your hands. Stay safe. Bye. Bye. Don't forget, even though this episode was not sponsored, the podcast does have sponsors like Dexcom, the Contour Next One Blood Glucose Meter, Touched by Type 1, and Omnipod. There are links to those sponsors in the show notes of this episode and at juiceboxpodcast.com. If you're not looking for those types of things, go into your podcast app and leave a glowing review of the podcast. That would make my day. And Jenny would smile about it too. All right, let's turn up the music and we'll dance our way out of this. Thank you.